worshiping together. And if you're uh, a visitor, you're just stopping by, you know, we just appreciate having you here. I want to welcome everyone who's watching online and just uh, just continue to, to pray for this ministry and for what God has called us to do. Amen? And um, we've been doing a message, a series called At the Table. I'm going to finish it this morning. And uh, I'm just I'm just really kind of struggling in, in some of this stuff, you know, it just, it, it's tearing at me. I mean, I, I'm looking at the clock right now, and, and we worship probably about 10, 20 minutes longer than we normally do, but, but that's cool, you know, because sometimes you just have to break in. I'll tell you, if, if we worship three hours, don't be mad. I don't think we've done it, but don't be mad. I mean, if, I, if God is, is really taking us to a place, we should all be there. Amen? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's really, it's all about him. Amen? And he's all about us. That's what's so cool about God. God already knows where you got to be when you got to be there. I don't, I don't really go by the clock, to be honest with you. It, with these lights, it's really hard to see. So, and I don't have a clock up here. You know, so, so pray that I get done in five minutes. But, any, but anyways, uh, we've been doing this Out the Table series. It's going to be Lessons in Faith is what we're going to talk about today. Um, we, we started off with talking about change, and we got into stress and, and some other things. We talked about parenting, got, uh, biblical parenting. And, and what this series is about is I've taken the, the top six questions that people have and decided just to answer them. So, uh, so it's, it's at the table. It's kind of like a smorgasbord type of, of deal. Uh, so if you come in on the first one it, it, or, or the last one or the middle one, it doesn't matter because uh, it has nothing to do with the one before. Is that okay? All right. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 6, uh, 11, 6, that it's impossible to please God without faith because we have to believe that he is and we have to uh, believe that he's a rewarder. But it's say rewarder. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's what it says. Just write that down. That's not in your notes. Just put Hebrews eleven six. You can look that up later. And we're living in a time right now where the majority of people just don't believe the Bible. You can take that off. I'll just, I'll just go into it. Um, the majority of the people don't believe the Bible. And because they don't believe the Bible, it's really hard for them to have faith. As a matter of fact, the millennials, uh, this generation right now, only 4% of the people raised in this generation actually believe the Bible to be true. And to be honest with you, I don't blame them. And mainly because us parents have not lived the Bible to be true, for the most part. So how can we teach people, our children, that the Bible is true when our lifestyles don't reflect what we say we believe? So what we need to do is we need to change that. We need to get our lifestyles to reflect what we believe so that way we have an impact on those that we're talking to. Because otherwise, haven't you ever heard the term, oh, well, y'all don't go to church, a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, they're right. But there's always room for one more so they can come too. Amen? I mean, it's just the truth. So we're living in a time where a lot of people are questioning and they're doubting. And, you know, when I start taking a look at this generation, I start really praying for this generation because when I start taking a look at it way back, say, um, in, earlier on, uh, um, say in the 40s uh, through maybe six, somewhere early in the 60s, I would say I think it was 65% of people believed in 
the Bible to be true, and he saw where our country was. Then the next generation after that, which is my generation, uh, I'm kind of a generation Xer. I was a punk rocker in the late 70s, early 80s, and, um, and it was about 16%. And then the next generation, and this is where we're getting into now, and this is the four percenters, and so you could just see uh, where the country is going, all because people refuse to believe the Bible to be true. And it just keeps going worse and worse and worse. And the Bible talks about this. So the topic of faith is a huge issue in the church. In Mark chapter 9, verses 17 through 24, it says, A man in the crowd answered, talking to Jesus, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at the teeth, and becomes rigid. I'd like to see a few people act that way. Because I'd like to call the you know, crazy place and have them sent away anyway. He said, I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not. So in other words, this man was doing everything he was supposed to do. He was brought him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't do it. It didn't work. So here's how, this is what Jesus replied to the man. He said, oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought uh, so so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He didn't speak a word to it, he didn't say anything to it. Just when the spirit recognized Jesus, who he was, it started freaking out. And see, that's what should happen with us. The Jesus on the inside of us should make a dark world uncomfortable. It should make it freak out a little bit. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the water, or the fire, or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So the man wasn't sure if Jesus could, could help. If you can do anything, you know, he said, he said, have pity on us. And, you know, Jesus is like, what are you talking about, Willis? Because this is what he said. He said, if you can, Jesus said. He's like, what do you mean if I can, you know? He said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now that's kind of weird. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, to be honest with you, that happens in church all the time. I believe. Help me over. How do we have unbelief? Now, that's a good question. The way we have unbelief is I prayed, and I didn't see it work. Uh, such and such, they were such a good person, and, and, and they, got, they got killed horribly in some horrible accident, and they were so young. Where was God in all of this? And so all these things start piling up and piling up and piling up. But the reason why we know we believe is because we came to church. So we believe something. So this is what we say in church, I believe God. I'm getting into worship, but I can't connect because I need help with my unbelief. And so today what I want to do is I want to help you find that unbelief, and I want to help turn that around. And you might be saying these things. You might be, you might be experiencing some of these things yourself. 
You might be drowning and, and just, God, I'm drowning, help me. You know, I mean, you have the little, oh, I'm falling and I can't get up. I mean, you, you know, you, you're trying to get up. And that's what God wants to do. So today what I'm going to give you is I'm going to give you seven lessons that will help your unbelief. The book of Hebrews in chapter 11 is, we call it the uh, Hall of Faith. Because it has all these great faith heroes in there and, and has these grandiose stories. It starts out, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is sure in hope. Now hope is not the type of hope that you think, Oh, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, and I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, and I'm hoping, 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 and wish, wish. No, that's not hope. The word hope in the Greek is confident expectation of the good. When somebody, man, something good's going to happen to you today. Oh, I hope so. Well, you're not, you're not expecting it. You're just going, oh, I wish, I hope, you know, please, God, you know. But when you know somebody really believes, oh, I believe that, thank you. I try, you can hear it in their voice. You, it, it's something about their posture. They have a confident expectation that God is going to do something good to them today. You know, that's why so many people got mad at Oral Roberts. It was way before that hospital $8 million thing. Everybody, everybody thought that that's why everybody was mad at Oral Roberts. No, they were mad at him because every day he would say when he was on the television or the radio, whatever, something good is going to happen to you today. And Chris is all about, not me. You sorry things, you. God wants to do good things for you in the midst of all the bad stuff that's going around. The bad stuff is going to happen, okay? That's just a fact. But you don't have to feel bad in the bad stuff. You can feel good and confident knowing that God has your back. He's on your side. He's going to help you out of the situation you're in. Woo, come on now. That's a, that's a good word right there. <clears throat> so then he goes on to say in verse 2, he says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And if you keep it in context, he's talking about the great cloud of witnesses. They were commended for standing up through trials and struggles and, and tribulations, and they, they were commended for these things. They're up there cheering you on. They were honored because of the faith. They dared to believe beyond reason. They dared to believe beyond what they could see, what they could smell, what they could taste, what, they could, what they've experienced. They dared to believe beyond that. And this is the type of faith that God wants you to operate in. This is how he wants us to operate. The first one is this. And number one, Abel's faith lesson. And Abel is, uh, was Adam and Eve's child. Abel's faith lesson is put God first. Got a piece of paper, it's right, just write that in there, put God first. You know, this is really where Christians have problems. This one right here. How do you know? Look around. There's empty chairs. Why are they empty? It's bow season. Fill in the blank. Whatever the case may be. So God is not first on their list. I'm out riding my Harley. Or my new K&M. Where's Bob and Mary at? Okay, there he is. I wanted to make sure. Because they had that K&M and they were trying to figure out where to put gas in that thing. I'm thinking, oh, they're going to take off from church and ride that K&M. I'm going to talk about them. I know. I just, 
thought I'd tease you a little bit. But what it is, is God has not been first on our list, and this is the deal. If he's not at the top of the list, he's not really on your list. Hold on, let me say that again. If he's not at the top of your list, he's not really on your list. Do you know why? Because God will never take second to anything. He refuses. He'll take himself off the list. So if you haven't put him first, he's not second. He's not on your list. Because he refuses to be second to anything. Or anyone. But I got to work. Okay, go to work. I get that. But I stayed up too late last night. Do you realize I have worked till like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and come and preach service that morning and you guys didn't know I worked till 3, 4 o'clock that morning? Huh? And Stacy does all the time. She works till like 7 o'clock in the morning doing an all-night shift. She comes in, plays the violin and stuff like that. So, so tired and all this stuff. I just don't have time for you. You know why? Because that's what God just said. I don't have time to be on your list. You don't have time for me. I don't have time for you. It's not I've left you or forsaken you. You've left me. I'm here. Oh, ouch, that hurts. It does. Anyway. But it's like, you're going to sew me up? Yeah, I'm going to sew you up. Just not right now. Uh, anyway, salvation is not joining a church. But when you put them first on your list, it's not just joining a church. Salvation is when you change your list around. When he becomes top on your list, that's salvation. When you accept him as your Lord and Savior, when he becomes your, hear me now, I said Lord and Savior. A lot of people understand that Savior thing where, oh yeah, I'm not going to hell. <laughs> but it's that Lord thing they just don't get. He's got to be your Lord too. That means top of the list. That means allowing him, what I'm doing is I'm trying to show you how to have faith. This is how it happens. This is, you put, you put first things first. Hebrews 11.4, it says this, By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was uh, uh, commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks, even though he's dead. And the reason why he still speaks, it's because of the kind of offering he gave. And everybody, when you say that, people say, well, you know, oh, yeah, he gave meat and uh, uh, Cain gave fruit, and so God wanted meat. That's not what it's saying. I've heard that so many times, and I want to tell these preachers that say that, liar, liar, pants on fire, because let's read what the Bible actually says, and let's keep, let's keep things where they, where they belong. So what kind of offering did Abel offer? Let's go back and take a look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, in the course of time. That's something you need to underline in your Bible because that is so important. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit. So in other, in other words, that means in the course of time, he waited until he had enough fruit and a bunch of fruit, and he was able to feed his house and do everything else, and he went ahead and took what, in the course of time, and just gave some stuff to God. Cain was a farmer. In the course of time, that's exactly what that means. So, 
it goes on to say, but Abel brought fat portions, and that's because he was a shepherd. You know, Cain brought fruit because he was a he was a, a, a farmer, and that's what farmers bring. Farmers bring fruit. Because people try to say, well, you know, God must have told Adam that they had to have some type of meat sacrifice. It's not in the Bible. Let's quit adding to it. So he was a farmer, and it's the first increase, and that's what he brought. He brought the first increase of his fruits. He brought the first increase. Or, I mean, he didn't bring the first increase. In a, in a course of time, he brought, he brought his firstborn. In other words, he brought an animal, the first animal that he had, not knowing he was even going to have another animal to supply the needs for his house. He said, this is the very first. I'm giving you my first. So it's in the type of offering. The portion is the first fruit, the first thing in your heart, the first part of the day. The reason why we worship God on Sunday is because it's the first day of the week. We want to give him the first day of our week. God, you have this week. Where is it scripturally? Revelation, when the Bible says that when John got his prophecy, it was on the Lord's day. But when was the Lord's day or the day of the Lord? When was that day? It was the first day of the week because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's called the Lord's day. And, that, and so today is the Lord's day because of that. We're not under old covenant and old ritual sacraments of, because the Sabbath is still Saturday. That, that, that's what it means. That is still the Sabbath. But see, we're supposed to worship God every day. Not this Saturday. Every day. First fruits. First portion. That's where the offering was different. It said the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So they both gave and it had to do with priority. Abel put God first and that's what we have to do is we have to put God first. He's got to be at the top of the list. Number two, here's Enoch's lesson of these heroes of faith. Walk with God. That doesn't mean just on Sunday morning. Walk with God. Have Him with you all the time. Be with God. Walk with Him every day. In Hebrews 11.5 it says, By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. And wouldn't that be cool? You know, I mean, I think of how Enoch's like, he's, he might have been like walking with one of his homeboys, and they're just talking, you know, and, just, and you know, and the guy's talking to him, and all of a sudden, whoop, he's gone. Wow, where did he go? You know, he was just gone. I mean, that's a crazy thing right there. He was just no more. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Enoch was so close to God that God took him away. He, he, he didn't die. I mean, that was just awesome. It says, before he was taken... He was commended as one who pleased God. That word pleased is is very key right there. As a matter of fact, that word pleased literally means he walked with God. Do you know that? All right, let's go back to Genesis. Genesis 5.24. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. God was pleased with Enoch. And then he was no more. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more. The Bible will define itself if you allow it to. If you keep it in context, it says because God took him away. So so Enoch just didn't pray in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and tend my sheep and do all this. No, Enoch prayed in the morning 
and said, come on, God, let's go, let's go take care of these sheep or whatever he did. And he was just chilling with God the whole time. People might have thought he was crazy. And he's just kind of chilling with God. And God's like, you know what? He doesn't have to go through any more of this. Come on, let's go. Let's roll. So he, he really walked with God step by step with God. There's a confidence when you walk with God. There's a confidence that you have in God where you trust him. There's, the, the, your faith gets stronger. Lesson number three. Noah's lesson. Act on God's word. Now this was a really cool one. This is by faith Noah. When warned about things not yet seen. See that? When warned, when warned about things not yet seen. Right? In holy fear, built an ark to save his family. In other words, what that means when warned about things not seen, it means he didn't know what an ark was. It means he didn't know what rain was. It didn't rain at all to that time. I mean, if I was to explain something to you and I was to say, well, just get that Iskabibble over there. <laughs> yeah. You don't know what an Iskabibble is. Well, that's kind of like what God said. Go build an Ishkabibble. Oh, and by the way, little Ishkabibbles are going to come too. And you know, the rain from the sky. You're like, what are you talking about? I don't know what that is. Well, see, so he had to trust God, and he had to go upon actions of things that he didn't even know what it was. God just said, okay, this is how I want you to build your Ishkabibble. I want you to go get this, and so he goes and he gets that. I want you to put it over here. I want you to be this long, and I want you to do this. And, and, and then all of a sudden, he's got this Ishkabibble, the ark. He's going, wow, what a nice Ishkabibble. I don't know what it is, don't know what it does, but it looks pretty cool. Now, these other little Ishkabibbles, does that mean little arcs? You know, just because it's something he doesn't know what it means. It's going to come out from the sky, and this Ishkabibble is going to rise. And he wants to get all the animals in here. And these, some of these animals, they eat people. He wants me to go get what? I mean, I'll grab a couple little snails and put them on there, but, but, but a lion? I mean, he didn't work for Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus. He didn't know how to do, deal with animals like that. He had to trust God that God was going to put peace in the animals and that when he spoke a word that those animals were going to do what he said because God gave him the authority. Now that's really, really good. So in other words, faith does. Your actions back up what you believe. Don't go there um, on the screen, but in your notes you've got James 2.22. That backs up what we just said. Number four, Abraham's lesson. Wait patiently. You know, the thing about patience is patience is a tool to help develop character. You know when you want something now? The reason why you don't get it now is because, because your character needs to be developed. The reason why 70% or more of the people that hit the lotto is there and lose it all is because their character's not developed enough to be able to handle money. 
When God gives you money, when it's from God, when it's not from you, when it's from God, when God gives you increase in finances and it's from God, it's because he understands you're able to handle money. But when it's you, you're always going to end up broke. Holes in your pockets. And go, I made how much last year? I got nothing in the bank? What? I just need to make more money. No, you'll spend more. You need to learn how to manage what you have and be a good steward with what God gives you. And I don't care how much you make. I'll tell you, I learned this this thing from my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is not a churchgoer, but she was raised in a convent by the nuns. You know, she'd get her knuckles smacked and all that stuff. But she was making minimum wage, bagging groceries in a grocery store, and she was, she was paying her mortgage, and she was supporting herself. And it made me realize that it doesn't, it's not about the money you make, it's about the lifestyle you're trying to live. So cut down the lifestyle, get yourself to where you're stable, and then when you're stable, save a little money and then buy something for yourself. It's okay. God doesn't want you to have nothing, but he wants you to understand how to take care of what you have in your hands. Anyway, that message wasn't about that, but that was good too. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So in other words, I want to tell you, your answer is around the corner. In Hebrews uh, 10, 37 and 38, it says, For just in a very little while, he who is coming will come and not delay, but uh, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he uh, shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. So what's ever going on in your life, he says, stay, hold strong, remain patient. Because he has your back. Don't shrink back. Don't go back. And if you fall down, just dust off your knees. Just get right back up. It's okay. God's got this. Amen? That's what he just said right there. Just be patient. Number five, Moses' lesson. Oh, man, this is a good one. Don't trust your feelings. Well, I'm going to tell you, your feelings will change. Oh, but I don't love him anymore. No, that's your feeling. That's because he didn't take out the trash. I get it. Because I do the same thing. He doesn't say that to me. He just says, it's trash night, dear. I say, okay, honey, I got this. Right? She goes to bed. It's still trash night. I forgot. I go to bed. Then, oh, lo and behold, the Holy Ghost. It's trash. You know, and I, for some, you know, that was the Holy Spirit right there helping me out. Hey, hey, don't forget this one. You know? So feelings change. But when you love somebody, you choose to love somebody, you choose them to love them no matter what you feel like at the moment. Feelings will always change. They'll always fool you and deceive you. Hebrews 11, uh, 24 through 27, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So in other words, he didn't want to live a compromised life. Instead, it keeps going, it says, He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, 
So in other words, faith doesn't follow its feelings. He could have lived a compromised life, and he could have lived very, very well, but he decided not to. He decided not to live by his flesh. He said, by faith he left Egypt, uh, not fearing the king's anger. He uh, persevered. Thank you. Hold on, let me widen this. Thank you. Because he saw him who is invisible. So in other words, your feelings, to me, when I read this, is your strongest enemy. Because your feelings are invisible to the naked eye, but you, but you have such a, such a power that comes over you. Kind of like in a song. Anybody here like country music? Raise your hand if you like country music. Okay. Well, you guys really blow me away. Because to come to church and listen to country music, you have to have faith. You lose your wife, you lose your dog, you lose your TV set, you, hey, you lost everything. You know? You're howling at the moon. Then all of a sudden you get, you know, some of y'all, I don't, nobody here I know, has a few beers on the inside of them. And then you turn on another country song, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And you start. So you go from losing to everything. This is being oh, bulletproof. I mean, country music, it just, it, it, it's a lie. It's a lie. And, and it's not true. If you play the record backwards, the stuff doesn't come back. I listen to it. It doesn't happen. So 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we live by faith and not by sight. So we walk by faith, by what we believe, by, by what we believe in the unseen realm. We have a confident expectation that God is going to do good for us. Then six, Joshua's lesson. Thank God in advance. Just, just be like, God, man, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your provision. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people marched around them for seven days. They didn't take it by force. They didn't all of a sudden pull out their weapon. Ah, we're going ah, to get you. They didn't do that. They walked around praising God. You know, when you read the Old Testament, what you see is in, in the uh, uh, Israel army is what they did is they always sent the praisers first. And they were always praising and worshiping God. And they'd have this army behind them. And the army wasn't really that big. I mean, you take a look at Israel. Take a look at the country. They're not that big. But man, they're playing their tambourines, and they were doing whatever they were doing. They were getting down with them. They're, they're good selves. I was going to say bad selves, but they're good selves. And all of a sudden, God showed up and put fear in the people that they were coming to attack. It made them so afraid. Walls came down. See, I'll tell you, if you put God first, if you, if you praise God and you trust God and, and you, you, you allow Him to go to battle before you, He will knock the walls of Jericho down. He will take the walls that are holding you back down. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Everybody forgets with thanksgiving. This is what Thanksgiving is, is you pray, 
You petition God. Then you trust and believe that he's given you what you've petitioned. So instead of praying for it again and asking him again, you thank him for it in advance, believing that you've received it before you actually see it. That's faith. You get that actually from reading Mark eleven twenty three and 24. It says, if you pray, or when you pray, you speak to the mountain, or when, or, or when you pray and you, you ask God, you believe it, you receive, when you pray, then you have the things that you say. Mark eleven twenty three and 24. He tells us to do this. This is how we do it. So we, we do it by thanksgiving. So here's the final thought. Uh, number seven, point number seven. God always does the right thing. What do you mean God always does the right thing? You know, the last part of Hebrews is not, 11 doesn't sound too good. Let, let, let me take a look at it. In chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, it says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. But it said God had planned something better. And what it's talking about is, it's talking about Christians who were sawn in half. It's talking about Christians who were made into wax candles, who did not back off their faith. It said they didn't receive that promise, the promise that they thought they were going to receive right that. It says this, God had planned something better. So just because we don't understand why something happens, God has something better planned. 